a pleasure to have you listening to my show today. My sincerest desire is for you to get something from it that will make your life richer, fuller, and safer. My name is Reverend Wynn Henderson. As an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. This podcast is the longest-running, single-hosted, spiritually-based radio, internet, talk show in America. It's been on the air for over 24 years. I bring you information about the disease of addiction, about your purpose in life, and investigative reporting on truth just below the surface. Today, we're going to review a book entitled Light After Loss, A Spiritual Guide for Comfort, Hope, and Healing. The author is Ashley Davis Bush. She's a psychotherapist with over 30 years of experience working with grieving individuals. She's also a Rocky master and trained spiritual director. Uh, This book was published in 2022, and is her 10th book. Approximately 60 million people die every year across the world, each leaving behind a community of grieving family members and friends. None of us is alone with this experience. Everyone, everywhere, has already or will shortly experience a deep and profound loss. It doesn't matter your nationality, socioeconomic position, country, century, age, ancestry, or educational level. Grief is the great equalizer. Let's face it, our shared experience doesn't lessen the initial heartbreaking soul-numbing, and searingly painful blow of loss. At first, it may seem that no light will ever again brighten your life. But in time, with the right encouragement, there is a path that illuminates the journey of integrating loss into life, a redirection from pain and suffering to the sacred qualities of compassion, love, connection, gratitude, and transformation. In the wake of COVID and mass shootings, loss has reached a level of catastrophic proportion. Our author, uh, with over 30 years' experience, as I told you, has been working with grieving individuals, navigating grief journey, showing how love, connection, compassion, faith, transcendence and soothe the broken spirit. She offers a far-reaching passage transitioning from support to a source of light within and beyond the self that is essential to a healthy grieving process. Well, having said uh, that, um, I'm going to uh, get our guest uh, to uh, talk to you about life after loss. Hello, uh, Ashley. 
Well, hello. I'm so glad to be talking with you. Thank you for that introduction. It was a little long, but they need to know um, what we're talking about before you get started. Um, tell me a little background in general and how is that related to you deciding to write this book? Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you, because part of your mission is to help people share their mission, and when I was in my 20s, I uh, lived in New York City, and I was working in public relations, and I had a, a, a true, what I felt was a spiritual experience where I thought to myself, uh, this work, working in public relations, didn't seem to feel like what I was meant to do on the planet. And I went to New Mexico on a vacation. I climbed a mountain, and I had the mountaintop experience, which changed my life, which was that I talked to spirit, what I would call God, and I felt God tell me, you need to be helping people in emotional pain. And so I went back to New York City, and I left that job, and I became a psychotherapist. And the very first book that I wrote was a book for grievers. It was, called, it was called Transcending Loss, and that came out 25 years ago. So why did I write another grief book 25 years later? I will tell you. I was actually in Guatemala where I moved three years ago with my husband after we launched our last child off to college. And I really had no intention of writing another grief book. But what happened was the global pandemic. And so basically, again, a kind of stirring or a calling from a, another place, a higher power. Uh, basically, what I felt was planted the seed in my mind and basically said, you need to write another grief book. Uh, and so I did because I had a lot of extra time on my hands during the pandemic. And so lo and behold, this book was born. You wrote in your book, and I, I don't know what page it's on, but um, of your experience with your first psychotherapeutic patient. you remember mm -hmm. that story? Yes, I do. Yes, it was a very powerful, and I do write about it. And that's also going back to my New York years when I went back to uh, social work school. I had never seen a client. We were all being trained to do the work. And my very, very, very first client was a bereaved woman who had a traumatic loss. It was the murder of her sister. And she was, of course, completely distraught and highly upset. And here I was, never seen a client before. Now I've seen, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands over 30 years. But I felt immediately this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. This is exactly who I'm supposed to help. I felt like I instantly knew how to be present with her, how to validate her experience, how to talk to her, how to empathize with her, even though at that time, of course, I really had very few major losses in my life. And yet, the power of, of understanding her situation just felt very clear to me. And even when I later went on to see clients who were either, you know, depressed or anxious or having relationship problems, 
While I still felt an empathy, I didn't feel anything as I had felt with my initial first client, a bereaved person. It just was crystal clear, ah, this is what I was here to do. This is who I'm supposed to help. And that mission has driven my entire adult career and has been extremely fulfilling. On the cover of your book, you have a a bowl that has been previously broken and repaired. And um, it's a, a technique that uh, they have done someplace else, yeah, Japan, I think.
You have to feel in order to heal. But I've also worked with many people who do not have a spiritual foundation. They do not have a faith. And so they're somewhat more handicapped in that way. So the purpose of this book, my hope was that I would be able to reach people of all belief systems, even those who say they have no belief system. And I usually enter with the idea of love and the idea of something more. I put that in quotes because that can be different things for different people. It could be a community. It could be nature. And in fact, I think spirituality in the broadest sense is often accessed through nature, through a connection with something more. So light shifts are basically turning your attention again and again to the light. And I use the light as a metaphor for spirituality, but again, it's accessed in many ways. It's accessed through love, through nature, through memories, through goodness, through compassion, through a connection to your loved one. So I weave through the book lots of different light shift practices to help turn your attention again and again. And we know from the science of neuroplasticity that what you pay attention to to grows stronger and what you pay attention to defines your mood and your outlook. So a brief example is someone who might be... um, Well, let me tell you a question that I consider a light shift question. A question I sometimes ask people I'm working with is, if I could take away all your pain and I could wave a magic wand and you would have no grief, no sorrow, no anger, no regret, no sadness, nothing. It would all be taken away instantly. But the catch is you would have never known your loved one. You never met them. You never saw them. You never loved them. Never knew them. Would you take that deal? Now, most people say no, they would not, because even though their pain is intense, they're so happy they knew that person. They're so happy they were loved by that person. So that question with the answer like that is, in fact, a light shift. It's turning your attention to gratitude, to, okay, I I am sad, but I'm so glad I knew them and loved them, and they changed my life in profound ways. So it's a redirection of your mind, heart, and soul to that which is good and that which is still part of you, even though your loved one is no longer here. That's a great question. Um, I'll apologize by not briefing you uh, before we got started. Uh, Do you have your book with you or not? I do. I have it right in front of me. Go to the um, introduction and... Mm -hmm. Just after the the break that uh, says light shifts, you wrote, here are some examples of light shifts perspectives. Could you quickly go mm-hmm. over those and make a comment? Sure. So it says, here are some examples of light shift perspectives. And I should say that there are practices and perspectives that are both light shifts. Uh, first one, there is more to life and death than what you can see. That's the idea that, um, well, there's more than you can see. There's a whole world on the other side of spiritual beings that are still with you in all ways, always. Uh, number two, embrace the unknown. 
I'm a big believer in mystery, that we don't really understand everything. No one can totally prove what's on the other side. So just be open to mystery and embrace the unknown. Uh, number three, recognize that even when it's raining, the sun shines above the clouds. That's happening for me right now in New Hampshire. It is raining cats and dogs, as they say here. But I know the sun is still shining. So even when you're in a dark place, there are, again, are things you cannot see that are that are giving you light that you will see eventually. I've been a I've been a, a pilot, and when I ah. I fly over the top of the clouds, it's all blue and beautiful up there. It might be miserable on the other side of the clouds, and that's what you're talking about. That's exactly right. I love going up through clouds that way because there's just a whole new vista, a whole new perspective. It was there all along. You just couldn't see it. Um, and so that's a light shift. Another one, dawn comes after even the darkest night. So that even when you're grieving deeply and feeling so much pain, if you have the trust that dawn will come, that light is possible, you start to have hope. Because ultimately, light shifts are about hope. They're about living with loss in a hopeful way. Another one, love is stronger than death and endures eternally. That is a big one of my messages, that love is, in fact, stronger than death. And that when you start to focus on the love, the love that is still part of you, that you still feel for that person, that you're embedded with, when you hold that in your heart, you're you're much less apt to fall into the pit of despair. Well, I believe. Souls. I believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Tell me what you believe. Your soul is eternal, and it leaves your physical body after you die, so you can look forward to experiences. And there's a lot of mystery about what and where and how and all that kind of stuff. But physical death is not the end in my opinion. I totally and heartily agree. And after working with grievers for 30 years, I can tell you I hear again and again and again about how there are signs and ways to communicate with their loved one on the other side. So another in my bullet points is souls reunite after death. And that seems to be the case from all accounts that I hear. And even if you don't totally believe it, I ask grievers to just hold out the possibility because we don't know for sure that it's not true. So why not, again, going back to embrace the unknown, be open to that possibility. Um, bad things can lead to good. And that's the idea that out of great grief can arise great goodness when you choose, when you decide to make your experience matter and make the life of your loved one matter. And I see lots of beautiful ways people do this. Sometimes they start organizations, like Mothers Against Drunk Driving was started by a bereaved mother whose child had died by the hand of a drunk driver, and uh, all sorts of um, angel uh, organizations are often started by bereaved people. So there's goodness that can come out of it, even if it's as simple as donating something to an organization in honor of your loved one, doing volunteer work in honor of your loved one, that their life continues to have a positive impact because you have decided to make it so. 
was, so all, all of these the, are examples, right? Yeah. I was uh, interviewing a, a lady who had lost um, a, a child, and as a result of that, she decided that she would interview other parents who had lost a child, let them write a page or two about the loss, uh, what they've done since, and their feelings and everything. And as a matter of fact, she interviewed my mother, who had lost my brother, and that got into her book. So, um, hmm. so that was her life mission after her loss. And like you said, many people have different ways of doing it, but quite often it can turn into a lifelong mission, which is something that we all ought to try to to find out what our mission is and then pursue it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And helping other grievers is uh, a very beautiful way of using your pain to have compassion for others who experience a similar pain. So that's a beautiful example. Yes. Should I keep reading a few more of these? or? Yeah, if, if you got time, I got time. Okay. Um, everything is as it should be. Now, that's a that's a tall order, and some people have trouble with that one um, because they'll say, you know, well, this wasn't supposed to be. Death of a child uh, is obviously extremely tragic. Uh, so, you know, I guess I would say that not every person believes every sort of light shift potential perspective, but, again, embrace the unknown, be open to possibility, um, because if everything is as it should be, then you don't need to dwell in any kind of regret or any kind of guilt. You can just know that things, we may not know why, and we may not think it makes any sense whatsoever, but things are happening as they should. And when you rest into that perspective, you have a lot of peace. Um, I, I wrote another book called The Art and Power of Acceptance. And the idea is that when you accept what is, that is a road to inner peace. When you resist what is, you are doomed to a lot of uh, torment. And a lot of grieving individuals initially go through a stage where they resist. Oh, this shouldn't have happened. I wish this hadn't happened. If only this hadn't happened. But that is not going to uh, sustain them over time that initially if there's the shift, the light shift towards, oh, this happened, I accept it, I will be at peace with it, that's going to give you a perspective that leads to so much more peacefulness. Um, okay, a few more light shift perspectives. The universe has your back to trust that something bigger has you in the palm of its hand, so to speak, and really is supporting you when you feel supported by the universe. It's a whole different expected uh, um, experience. Death is simply a portal to another dimension. We've discussed that. Souls come to earth to learn and grow. Now, that's just a very powerful place to be because then you realize that everything that happens to us is part of our learning. It's part of the earth school, the opportunity to have our souls grow and learn. So each each one of these, of course, is just packed with possibility. 
uh, and I just made this list, but really this, this list is sort of about the foundation of, of our, um, our lives and our deaths. Uh, next one, you will be reunited with your loved one. I deeply believe and believe and have seen that. Evidence of that, there are no accidents. We are all connected. That's kind of like everything is as it should be. Choose to open your mind and welcome mystery. I think we've discussed that. And finally, nature is vast and beautiful, and you are a part of it. And again, I would reiterate that many people find a portal to spirituality through nature. Um, and so I encourage people to spend time in nature, to touch the leaves of trees, to put your back towards a tree and feel its strength and imagine its roots under you. That that light shift perspectives are about getting out of your your smaller self. They're about accessing your higher self. The smaller self is shattered. The higher self is the Kintsugi bowl with gold between your shards. Uh, you mentioned earlier that what you focus on grows stronger. How do you relate that to your idea of life as a garden? Mm. Well, we have flowers in our garden. We have maybe vegetables and beautiful, wonderful, harvesty things. But we also have a lot of weeds in our gardens of life. So the vegetables and flowers are obviously Beautiful, easy circumstances, blessings, love, relationships, goodness. And the weeds are the hard stuff. They're the struggles. They're the sickness, the illness, the death. So you can focus your attention on the good things going on in your garden, or you can focus your attention on the struggles, the weeds, the dying things. And that's going to matter a lot. Now, both are true. I'm not trying to pretend the other doesn't exist. Both are true. But where you place your attention, where you turn the flashlight of your attention, it's going to matter how you live going forward, how you feel, how you incorporate your loss. Um, you said in your book, um, spirituality is your home, your birthright. And it's closer than you think. And you uh, noted uh, a 16th century French philosopher, Pierre Talhard de Chardin, who said, We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Now, I believe that, but see if you can uh, dumb it down. <laughs> or audience and tell you know what that means to you. Mhm. Mm well, I I like that expression because we do get so caught up in the mundane aspects of living, and I call that the horizontal dimension, the paying the bills, the going to the grocery, the getting uh, appointments taken care of, just the mundane aspects of life. We're just human beings having this, you know, day-to-day -day life school experience. But the vertical dimension, which is more about transcendent heights and very deep depths, that's the spiritual aspect. 
So imagine if you're a spiritual being that's come into a human body to have this experience, and yes, you're going to have the horizontal, but really your essence is the vertical, and something more is going on. So when you start to kind of expand the paradigm and expand your vision of what is possible, the, the mundane things seem less important and even less upsetting because you've got this broader perspective. So I think that the concept of being a spiritual being, having a human experience, means that you don't get quite as sidetracked or hijacked by the human experience, essentially, because you're tapped into something bigger. Your your grief, I would imagine, you would describe as a horizontal experience. But That's right. when you expand around that horizontal experience, you find a new perspective that leads to a greater sense of peace and healing, and that is the spiritual aspect of the vertical uh, endeavor. Um, exactly, exactly. And, it, you know, I don't mean to imply that it's just a snap of the fingers or that it's a simple process. It's hard work. And, of course, when you lose a loved one, it takes it just takes you down. It's a, a sword in your heart. It is so painful. And so I'm not implying that, or I don't wish to imply, that if you just, uh, you know, turn your attention to love, it's all better. It's a process. It's a process that requires um, intention on a daily basis. And some days you just have to give yourself permission to feel terrible. You have to have, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to not be okay, and that sometimes you need to just stay in bed and cry. So it's definitely a process over time. I do want your listeners to know that, that it's, I, I don't want to gloss over it as just all, all goodness and light. It is goodness and light, but it's also really hard emotional work. I know, and a lot of grieving people that I've been associated with that, some days are not as good as others. For, for example, on the anniversary of the death of a spouse or a loved one, you might not have a great That's right. That's right. There are special days, whether it's an anniversary. I call that the angel-versary. The angel-versary is the day they left the planet. Birthdays, holidays, the angel-versaries, these come around year after year, seasonally, and they can trigger you. I've had many people say they, they hadn't even consciously remembered a certain date was coming, but their body knows. They just start to feel sluggish and sad. And so you have to honor that with a lot of self-compassion. And I think those days that come around are really opportunities to just deepen your connection to your loved one and deepen your commitment to the light shift way. Why don't uh, we take a, a break to let you tell our audience how they can get a copy of your book, how they can get to your website, uh, any mm-hmm. type of information that you'd like to give them to deepen the connection. Absolutely. Uh, I would love for them to visit my website, which is www.ashleydavisbush.com. 
So A-S-H-L-E-Y-D-A-V-I-S-B-U-S-H dot com, AshleyDavisBush.com. And I have a lot of free articles on there and videos about grief and stress and other things. So, um, and of course, Amazon and other independent booksellers are where you can get my book, Light After Loss, or, or any of my other books. We um, have several chapters in your book. Uh, chapter 7 is Transcendence. And would you explain to our audience what transcendence means to you? Yes. Well, to me, transcendence is, is really about rising above your situation so that you have a new perspective. It's like going to the top of a building, I don't know if you've ever been to New York and gone to the top of the Empire State Building, but when you do, or as you said, being a pilot up in the air, you get a different perspective on what you're, what you're experiencing. So transcendence is rising above and having this new perspective, but still being connected to it. It's not as if you get over grief. Uh, it's a matter of having a different perspective on grief. And for me how I've seen people transcend is to really decide that their experience is going to lead to something positive. And, um, and I've made reference to a few of those ways, whether it's starting an organization or a scholarship or volunteering or doing random acts of kindness in the name of your loved one, that you're, you're committed to seeing what's happened to you in a different way so that it's not just, a tragedy, uh, a terrible sadness, a heartbreaking loss, that it's more than all of that. Because when you transcend and you get a different perspective, you see that it's part of the human condition. It's something that can deepen your connection to spirit. It's something that can deepen your connection even to your loved one who's gone because the relationship is not over. And it can deepen your relationship to all of humanity as you share the compassionate heart that is developing within you. When uh, you said, uh, talked about going to the Empire State Building, uh, that brought up a thought uh, on perspective. There was this guy, and he got to the top, and from the observation platform or wherever up there, he slipped. Mm. And he was an optimist. And as he was going down toward the ground, as he passed each floor, he would yell out, so far, so good. <laughs> My goodness. Now, that's a real optimist, right? That really is. But it's your perspective. <laughs> Another guy would have said, oh, I'm getting ready to die. Every fourth floor takes me closer. And it's the same thing, but one person has one idea of what's happening, another person has another. And you kind of have to integrate your perspective on everything into your life uh, in the best way possible. That's right. That's right. And to look for what what is this, how can this be happening for me and not just to me? That's a real light shift perspective, too, to say, hmm, this isn't just happening to me, it's happening for me. So how can it be happening for me? How can I grow? How can I give? How can I see in a new way? And how can this 
change me in a positive way because we are definitely on this planet to learn, to grow, to change, and to deepen um, our connection to love and life and, I would say, to spirit. Um, One of my mentors, not in the physical, but because I've read him so much, is a psychiatrist. His name is Viktor Frankl. And mm-hmm. interred uh, as a Jew, um, and he went through several concentration camps, and he he finally was uh, uh, extricated from the last one. But his whole family had been killed, and uh, I remember one of his quotes. He said, "Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing." And that is the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Um, You know, you can be locked up in prison or you can be any of the bad things that can happen to you, but your attitude will make the difference in your life. And uh, you wrote about uh, Viktor Frankl. And I, I think that uh, that that is idea, your ability to choose your attitude is the most important thing. The yes. German, the German philosopher Nietzsche said, whoever has a why to live can bear almost any half. And, and that's important because if you have a purpose in life, you know why you're here, what you're here to do. The uh, how can can come uh, almost secondarily without too much problem. And I believe that's right. That's right. And I'm such a fan of Viktor Frankl's work as well. I reference it in uh, Chapter Seven. And another aspect of his perspective, I don't think I included it in the book, but I've read uh, his reflection on it. He was so bereaved that he lost his wife in the in the concentration camps, but he was later quoted as saying, um, I, by me being still alive and her being gone, she was spared grieving me. And he said, and I can take on the pain of grieving her, but at least I know she was spared the pain of grieving me. So again, perspective is so important to to work with and to realize that, uh, you know, the facts are the facts, but the way you interpret the facts is very variable, and you can interpret facts in many different ways. So why not do so in a way that gives you strength and comfort? Well, mention Frankel one more time. You talked about alchemy, which was a medieval practice of turning base metal into gold. But in your book, you talk of alchemy as one of taking what you have, however challenging, and working to transmute it into something positive, something meaningful. And Frankel's life work is a testimony to this possibility and a beacon of inspiration. And mm-hmm. something that when you meditate would be a good thing to meditate on. 
Yeah, the whole idea of alchemy, which is, you know, transmuting one thing into another thing. And so the light shift practices are all about taking the pain of grief and alchemizing it into something positive and good and loving. Um, I will also say I'm impressed how thoroughly you read or <laughs> involved yourself with the with the book, the manuscript. I'm glad. Thank you. You've really you've got the essence of it. Let me tell you that. Well, I, I try to do as as well as I can to um, spread the author's message in terms that they can understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've read books. Mission, mission accomplished. <laughs> I've read books that I've got a, a medical degree. Uh, I've been in you know, formal education for 21 years, and um, I couldn't understand what the author was saying. Now, that's hard to, to get that information from that person's book uh, out to the public to understand. So sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I have a good author like yourself, <laughs> brings it down to an eighth grade educational level. And sometimes I find somebody that they may know what they're talking about, but they can't uh, relate to other people. So I, right. I applaud right. you. And your book is very good. And uh, it has a number of different chapters relating to uh, the topic. And at the uh, end of each chapter, you do something. Tell us what it is that you do at the end of each chapter. Yes, at the end of each chapter, I offer specific practical light shift practices, and they range from different meditations to try, breathing exercises, journaling prompts, uh, sometimes just very specific um well, I'm just looking through it right now. This is, you know, one is like lighting a candle. One is doing a central channel breath. So they're, they're just very specific things to do to help create these light shift practices that will become your light shift perspective. Right. Um, for the interest of our listeners today that want to contact you, please, once again, Give us your email address and your website address. Uh-huh. Well, the website is www.ashleydavisbush.com, and my email is quite similar. It's ashleydavisbush at gmail.com. So I, I welcome the opportunity to hear from any of your listeners. Okay. I'm writing that down in case somebody... Uh, to get the information from me. Um, I, I think uh, I think we've hit it pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. There may be something that I didn't talk about I want to talk about. Is there anything else that uh, that you would like to say? Well, just a reminder that love is at the core of loss. If you didn't have the love, you wouldn't feel the loss. So to keep your attention on the love, because it's always part of you, it's embedded within you, and it will carry you through the darkest times. So reminder to focus on the love. And uh, get the book, because there's a lot more in it that you need to know. 
that we didn't have time to go over today. I'll say in closing, my mission of purpose in life is to spread the message that there is a cure for every addictive behavior. Uh, this is a spiritual cure, and the treatment program is profiled in my newest book, Freedom from Addiction 4, The Final Message. If you meet three simple criteria, everyone cures their addiction. My book is available on Amazon.com. I have three free resources where you can start your journey. The first is a link to this podcast. The address is freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. No caps, no spaces, and spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. The second is a link to my website where you can find out more about my work with addiction. It is www.revwinandersonmd.com. And the final resource is my Twitter account. You search at Hugo the Artist on twitter.com, and you will find there over 2,300 inspirational and educational pearls of wisdom. So, um, Ashley, let me thank you again for the time that you spent with us, and uh, I hope uh, your message gets out because you've written an important book. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to talk with you. Wishing you and your listeners all the best.